box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Michael Hedgley and Derek Dyson for our podcast where we go through our highlights of the past week, our teams and moments of the week and plenty more. There has been a stack on this week and uh, no club football around the world for the men, plenty of club football around for the women. But, uh, you know, take your pick. Uh, I think I came to you, Derek, to start off last week. Edge, I'm going to come to you for your game of the week. Um, I know you picked one. We talked about this in the main show earlier on in the week, uh, uh, but uh, I'm fascinated to hear your take on this one. Well, Luis Diaz inspired Colombia to, to a victory over Brazil, a very rare victory over Brazil at home um, in what was a hugely emotional night as his father watched from the stands after being released by his Nappers. Uh, the Liverpool forward scored twice in five second half minutes to complete a surprise win for Colombia uh, in Barranquilla. Um, and obviously, he was only reunited with his father on uh, Tuesday um, after Rebels held uh, his father hostage for 12 days. So you can imagine the emotion. Tears were flowing from Diaz's eyes as the second goal went in, and his father was um, a, a big feature of the broadcast. They had the camera on his father throughout the entire time. Um, and the emotion of um, Diaz's performance and Colombia's um, response to the family being reunited was just amazing. But it did propel Colombia uh, into the third position on the table and Brazil down to fifth. So a massive win for Colombia at home in Barranquilla, a very famous town in Colombia. And uh, Luis Diaz, uh, not only the Colombian spotlight, but the world spotlight on what's a very feel-good story, Rob. Yeah, no, it was interesting. I was wandering um, uh, along the Yarra um, yesterday, so Sunday morning our time, beautiful sunny 25-degree spring day, and stumbled across a South American uh, food market with some wonderful music being played and sitting right next door to each other were the Colombian and the Brazilian food stalls. And uh, I'll tell you, there was a bit of banter going on uh, <laughs> there that morning. Um, what about you, Derek? What have you chosen for, for your uh, your game of the week, mate? You always um, you like to, to pick a good one um there was no club football did you go international or, or club uh, uh women's style well i actually was going to go for chelsea liverpool women because chelsea beat liverpool women 5-1 and continuing their great form in wsl but at the very last minute i've decided to throw scotland norway into the mix obviously uh i'm a big scotland fan scotland are of course already qualified for Germany uh, with two games to go. Uh, there was a little bit of a danger, though, that Scotland's uh, campaign, as fine as it has been, was going to end as a bit of a damp squib. They drew two all in Georgia, and then they came up against uh, Norway, albeit without their star striker, um, Erlich Brown, Brown Harland. But it was a great game, three all, obviously, back and, back and forth, back and forth. Um, Scots came from behind twice in the first half. Uh, John McGinn got a penalty and there was an, an own goal that got them to, to all. It looked like Stuart Armstrong had given the Tartan Army the win, but it was actually a former uh, Celtic winger, Elianusi, who uh, got a great goal late on to have a three-all draw. And look, I felt just from a tone point of view, it would have been very disappointing if Scotland had lost this game they would have definitely deserved a, a draw 
Um, and now that, you know, for their fans, it's just super exciting. The draw for Euro 2024 uh, is next month. The, play, the, the fans got to sing along to Free, Free From Desire, which seems to be a, a bit of a hit uh, with the home nations over there. And, you know, they will get some of their better players back. I know that Tierney and Andy Robinson were not playing in this game. And uh, Steve Clark, what a man. I mean, what he's done to Scottish football is nothing short of tremendous. I'd be doing them a disservice to say they don't have a star name. They've got some fine players. John McGinn amongst them. Lyndon Dykes, of course. course. John McGinn is the man for me. He's sensational for Aston Villa, Mm. sensational for Scotland. He he, he gets the nod, you know, he gets the nod from me over. Scott McTominay, he's also a fine player as well. So, must have looked forward to to Scotland. I'm just glad the match to, to finish on a positive note in the end, though. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I think we all have a soft spot for Scotland in this country, and uh, uh, the fact that um, that they're you know um, able to to continue to to um, get a result at the very least uh, after they've qualified when you know the energy you would think um, has probably gone off a little bit um, is probably indicative of, of just uh, what kind of spirit Clark's got in that side. But we've seen that uh, plenty of times over the last 12 months or so, um, particularly going back, well, even more so back to the Euros. Um, they were uh, they were pretty mighty at different points, even though they weren't the most entertaining. Um, they always uh, put in a, a huge shift, especially in that game against England. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit more about um, that Turkey-Germany game. I know we touched on it um, in the main show earlier in the week, but, uh, um, you know, this is... We're talking about... Berlin here. We're talking about uh, uh, a German country which is, like Italy, had uh, a lot of the bark taken off their their pride and their multiple stars that they carry on their shirts from glory days of uh, World Cups gone by. But uh, we, we're talking about a nation here with one of the top flight competitions in the world in the Bundesliga that generates not only a lot of uh, of passion uh, outside the stadiums, but but is renowned as a, a competition that builds young men, trains them in the technical nature of of, of football, and and breeds them into top flight, uh, relentless footballers uh, in the German mould. And uh, we all just assumed that when Hansi Flick took over from Yogi Lowe, perhaps Lowe had stayed, uh, outstayed his welcome a little, that Flick was just going to step in and everything would be set to rights and the German uh, national side would uh, return to its uh, pomp and uh, keep on winning. Well, that didn't happen. Flick got sacked. Julian Nagelsmann, the wonder boy of football coaches, uh, the sort of rising Pep Guardiola, if you like, is appointed and everything's supposed to go well. They beat the USA, they draw against Mexico, not a bad start, but then they face their first big test against a quality side uh, like uh, like uh, Turkey that, that's already qualified and they legitimately stumble. They, uh, they, they go ahead after five minutes, uh, um, the uh, th- that opening goal by Kai Havertz um, was um, you know, he was playing in a, out of position, but it was it was a beautiful cutback from uh, Leroy Sane. Could have taken it on his own, was unselfish, uh, set it up for Havertz, and Havertz put it away. But uh, yeah, you felt that they had the momentum, and you know against a side like Turkey, you, you're never going to get on the um, um, the um, or well, you shouldn't be ever taking your foot off the gas. But that's what they did, and and I'll close by quoting. Uh, Nugglesman, uh, uh, when he made the point in the post-match press conference that we should have finished the game off in the first 10 minutes, but from the 25th minute and until the break, we did not do much. We have to keep playing on the same level. 
every player has to do it, then that quality will come through in the games. So if that's just an insight into Nagelsmann's expectation, I guess any manager would say that, but they did display enough in those early stages that if they had played with the kind of confidence that we have come to know over the generations of German football, then they had the crowd behind them. Um, yes, you might have tens of thousands in a 70,000-seat stadium, but that still means that 50,000, 60,000 are following the home side. So they're going to stay on their back. But you suck the energy out, like we saw at the Cricket World Cup, and the dynamic and the atmosphere changes. So I'll be watching a very close-watching brief. Um, and as we, we record um, this show, um, will Germany um, become one of the powerhouses? I know, Derek, you reflected that they've almost dropped down to uh, the second tier of European footballing nations. Can they retain that glory? Watch this space. Uh, Edge, team of the week. You must have been tossing the coin between your team and the game because your team uh, comes from the same part of the world. Well, it does. Uh, my team of the week is Uruguay, who ended Argentina's 14-match winning run going right back to the 2022 World Cup. Um, it was uh, your man, Rob, uh, Liverpool forward Darwin Nunes, who capped uh, a goal in the 87th minute, um, which sealed the win for Uruguay, who are showing the obvious um, trademark of a Marcelo Bielsa team. In fact, it was Messi poached game who said you can see Bielsa's hand on the way Uruguay is playing in all national teams or clubs including Argentina his style is very recognizable and he has a good generation of players Argentina who'd won all four of their opening qualifiers still remain on top of the South American World Cup qualifying table with 12 points but Uruguay uh, uh, propelled themselves into second spot they're my team of the week because um, anybody who knocks off the reigning World Cup champions after a long run of wins needs a big tick. And Ma, uh, Marcelo Bielsa, hey, uh, isn't he an incredible name in the international football landscape? He's a wizard. Um, and, and I noticed Leo was um, getting a bit pissed off at different stages. You don't usually see him lose his temper. But when um, when you're losing at home to one of your most bitter enemies, uh, Michael, um, at um, uh, in Buenos Aires, um, then uh, even it does fray the temper of, um, of the maestro himself. It certainly does. They have an incredible rivalry, those two. I mean, obviously the Brazil-Argentina rivalry is probably the number one South American rivalry, but the, the River Plate is not much uh, separates, uh, not not much, uh, not, not many kilometres, Rob, between Montevideo and, and Buenos Aires. So these yep. games are always hotly contested, uh, incredibly physical and uh, a lot of emotion at play. Derek, your team of the week? Yeah, I suppose my tongue is very firmly in my cheek here, but it is San Marino. Um, they ended a two-year goal drought uh, in the last round of fixtures in October. They, I think you'll recall that they lost 2-1 at home to Denmark and really, really gave the Danes a, a huge scare. And they've, they've done the unthinkable because they've scored a game. They've scored another goal. Um, this time in a 3-1 loss to... Kazakhstan, and this is the first time since 2005 that San Marino have scored in successive uh, competitive games. They were 2 0 down to Kazakhstan, and let's give them all the credit. Simone Franciosi bundled in, it wasn't a great goal, he kind of bundled it in from, from close range. Players went absolutely wild, like they just won the, uh, the World Cup. They, they did extensive. VAR checks on this. None of these 
checks were anywhere near close to being offside. So I was speculating as to whether they were just checking a clear and obvious error, which was that San Marino had scored a goal uh, in, a, in a competitive game. But unfortunately for them, uh, they got another goal, the Kazakhs, and 207th in the, and last in the world, San Marino. Um, but they but they are scoring goals. I mean, it's, it's tough going if you're a San Marino fan. Um, they've only won once, and that was against Liechtenstein in a friendly in 2004, a 1-0 win. And out of the 85 Euro, Euro qualifiers, they have lost 84. They've had one goalless draw against Estonia in 2014. So next up for uh, in their final qualifier, they will host Finland. Maybe they can make it the three, Rob. But uh, all, all jokes aside, we love football at every range. I'm not taking anything away from San Marino. If scoring a goal is their, is their World Cup final, then let's celebrate that. No, I think you are well within your rights to express it that way because um, these are uh, very, well, the principality, I think San Marino is as it's referred to, uh, rather than a country in its own right. Uh, uh, lots of crossover between Italy and France and uh, and various other uh, European uh, connections, but uh, you know, a proud football community nonetheless, and, uh, and they score a goal. Um, and if that is their highlight, then, mate, Good luck to them if they want to celebrate. I'll tell you a team that wasn't celebrating, though, is Edge. Um, you, you, you've got a soft spot for Gibraltar, and I'm surprised that you did pick them as your team of the week. Um, um, so um, I, I'm going to probably tip them for, for all of the wrong reasons. I mean, they did go down to 10 men, to be fair. Uh, Santos was sent up after 18 minutes. So when you, when you go down to 10 men um, away against the losing team, um, uh, World Cup finalists of of the last iteration, they're going to make you uh, pay for it, and they certainly did. Kylian Mbappe scored a hat trick. Olivier Giroud, a couple of himself, nine different goal scorers. Uh, uh, it was um, a feast of football, and and you just got to feel sorry for countries like Gibraltar. But I'll, I'll just ask the the question uh, of you, Michael, um, uh, with your you know soft spot for um, the Gibraltans, as as you've sort of expressed on this show over the years. Um, what does a nation like that have to do apart? from keeping 11 men on the field uh, against a, a side like that to to actually be competitive and and maybe, you know, reach the, the heady heights of a San Marino? Uh, the Rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> well, they have a, a quite a few disadvantages, Rob, don't they? Um, they don't have a, a big population base or a big uh, football base to, to draw their players from. I think Derek uh, knows uh, that they drag their players from all over the place to play in these games. Um, people that have uh, were born there and decided to uh, go to other places in the world to, uh, in, um, you know, get on with their lives. But, yeah, I mean, Rob, they're a minnow of epic proportions. You know, they're mm. a tiny, tiny speck in the uh, international football community and we like to celebrate uh, from time to time their little, uh, their little triumphs. But playing against France is always going to be difficult isn't it? Mm, yes, with 10 men in particular. All right, I'm going to kick off hot topic uh, to bring us home. And this is just a little article I picked up in the age during the week. Um, as much as we, we see the, the the money coming into the country from, you know, some really good commercial deals by Football Australia, the Matildas getting wonderful uh, uh, TV audiences and, um, and and admittedly Channel 7 did get an excellent deal for, for those uh, Women's World Cup uh, television rights. Um, that won't be the case next time around. But uh, Scott Spitz uh, wrote that Football Victoria is dealing with a record high debt of nearly $2 million and has warned clubs that 
haven't met this year's financial obligations that they won't be able to take to the park in 2024. Um, the governing body is holding a special general meeting um, on Sunday to vote on constitutional changes, but the broader financial situation has sparked the health of the round ball code in this country. And we constantly talk about it, not just um, in Victoria off the back of this story, but I remember we talked to Maurice Yemma all those years ago in New South Wales, just the high cost of families um, in the current economic climate uh, being forced to dig deep um, into their own pockets just to get their kids on the park. So whilst we celebrate the good news of the national second tier um, and the successes of the national sides and uh, you know, growing crowds um, in both the women's and the men's games, um, this is a structural uh, disconnect at, at the very base of, of football in this country, actually. Don't get me started on football, football Victoria because they have a lot of answers, a lot of questions to answer at the moment. Um, yes, I mean, we can talk about it for hours, but um, uh, Kim Ontaliadoris, the, the former National League player with South Melbourne, Marconi and Collingwood Warriors, believe it or not, um, Kim on, um was uh, marched out the door as CEO recently. Um, and there is a, a lot of conjecture about the financial status of uh, that organisation. They look like they, they have one very key investment, which was a legacy of many, many years ago, which is a property in South Melbourne in Dorcas Street um, and uh, worth many millions of dollars. And I understand they're trying to sell that to stave off the debt, which would be of great disappointment to um, the football community because it's an asset that uh, generates revenue for the sport. Um, having said all of that, um, you know, there's governance and integrity questions uh, around Football Victoria. It's a bit of a mess at the moment. I understood. Uh, I think they even got a, a pretty serious mention in Parliament. So like um, a lot of things in Victoria, Rob, not going so well. Yeah, exactly. Welcome back. You might be the next Premier. All right, give us a brief insight into the national second tier. We talked to Bill Papasturgiatis. Uh, uh, we uh, we hope to have James Johnson on in the not-too-far-distant future to get his thoughts on it um, and what we can expect, um, you know, in, in the long term, the 5, the 10, the 20-year plan. Well, I mean, um, from my perspective, um, great news. Um, we... we I think we should be celebrating that um, three sort of key initiatives out of the, this announcement is that in 2025, there will be a national second tier and it won't be a Champions League format. It'll be a home and away season. It'll be played in the winter um, and it'll have between 10 and 12 teams, according to the announcements uh, that happened this week from Football Australia. However, I must say I'm a little bit underwhelmed because there's been a lot of time that they've had to work on this and they turn up with only eight teams uh, no teams from Queensland, Western Australia, South Australia or Tasmania. Um, some big clubs that you would have thought would have well and truly been in the mix. Um, I understand Heidelberg and Melbourne Knights didn't put an application in because of real concerns about the financial viability of the whole thing. Um, due diligence, it was announced that the due diligence process on these eight clubs that were announced has not been completed yet. So there was some speculation about are all of these eight clubs going to take their starting point? So um, I, I just think that um, we, we might have expected some more um, after the process that Football Australia has been leading. Um, there's a lot of work still to do to get this thing up. Um, yes, um, we're celebrating the announcement, but let's hope it's not one of those announcements we see in politics that doesn't actually eventuate.
Yeah, well, hopefully that's not the case. It doesn't feel like it's the case, but I think your points are well made and something that um, we should table for maybe a special edition of stoppage time in the not too far distant future, um, the way that it's all going to come together, the clubs that didn't apply, the clubs that should be in it. Uh, now, Derek, bring us home. Um, uh, oh, this hoary old chestnut, the Optus app. Yeah, there's another wind about the Optus app. Uh, a bad a couple of weeks for Optus. I know their CEO uh, resigned today, maybe... She knew I was coming on box to box to have a wind about how former director of football Australia, believe it or not. Well, there you go. Well, she must have known how crap the Optus app is. Her first grouse twenty four ninety nine is is unacceptable and an unacceptable gouge of the uh, Australian football fan. My biggest problem with it is just the picture quality on the phone is just dreadful. When you when you log in and you try and watch it, it's like watching something on a Sega Master System from the mid-90s, like sure World it's not, Cup 90. The, uh, the Wi-Fi or the 5G? No, it's not. I've got 5G, 5G. I've got the full thing all working. You've got 6G. It's just it's the picture quality is awful. I've got to watch a Hungry Jacks advert first as well, so I'm paying 25 quid. Yeah, that's and what I've got to you pay and I've got to watch a bloody Hungry Jacks advert. And a, a month and you've got to watch a Hungry Jacks ad. Yeah, exa- exactly. Time. I couldn't get the San Marino highlights when I wanted them as well, which I thought was bad on San Marino. You used to be able to watch the highlights on YouTube, but they've delayed them now, so that you have to watch them on the app, uh, which is really annoying. Um, and I was thinking what the best one is. I think it's probably Stan Sports, actually. That you know, KO is pretty good, but the thing that annoys me with KO is you can't reduce the screen and then do other stuff on your phone and have it going in the corner. That's really annoying. At least with Stan, you can do that. Mm -hmm. The interface is okay. The playback is good. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm giving serious consideration to that 24.99 a month, get rid of the Burger King adverts or whatever they are and (laughs) uh, sort it out next year of Optus. And I'm, I'm unhappy. <laughs> well, we maybe maybe that's the first yeah, point, exactly. uh, point of conversation. There's a lot of I think there's a lot of people unhappy about the Optus app and the Hungry Jacks ads mm. that you you uh, have the misfortune of viewing after you pay twenty five bucks a month. All right. Well, you've got a you've had a, you've had your, your rant, um, and um, we'll keep watching that space and maybe get a, a guest on from Optus to talk about it soon. All right, gentlemen. Thank you, um, Derek. Until next time. Thank you, Michael. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Roberto. See you uh, for a coffee maybe in the next couple of days. Absolutely. And uh, you know what? One of the things I neglected to do in the main show, I didn't thank Adam Maloney. I'm going to give him a double thank you today. Our panel operator, our producer, our editor, our maestro that pulls all the threads together, one of the best in the business. And um, we're really grateful for his expertise and time. Thank you, Adam, for making it all happen as you do. Please subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter or X or whatever you refer to it as. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.